our evening speaker for the weekend, Sean Gallion. Sean is no stranger to missions. He was raised in a cross-cultural missions family. From there, he went on to marry another woman who is not a stranger to missions. Together, Deb and Sean served at, at Georgetown University, Chi Alpha, for a number of years. And they currently serve in Granada, Spain. Sean is the director of Raices Ministries, as well as the director to the, the Secular People's Initiative. That is a very difficult phrase to say. Some of you may remember Sean from the World Mission Summit whenever he spoke last year in the morning session. I've known Sean for 15 years. I served as an intern in his ministry at Georgetown. My interns will get lots of great stories this weekend. Sean brought a depth and clarity to scripture that literally transformed my life and the lives of the people that have come through his ministry. I'm so thrilled that he is our speaker this weekend because he is one of my favorite voices in theology and worship of Jesus. It is a great privilege to be able to hear from him this evening and over the course of this weekend. Sean has taught me and many others the, the art of blending the contemplative and the Pentecostal in worship. My prayer for us this weekend is that our hearts would be not only open, but transformed as the Holy Spirit speaks through Sean and yet again produces fruit through his ministry here at our SALT conference. As we prepare our hearts and minds for this time of worship through studying God's scriptures, would you join me in giving our speaker, Sean Gallion, a warm welcome my friend and teacher. Well, good evening, everybody. Buenas tardes. All right. It's afternoon in Spain. It's only 9 o'clock. Such a pleasure to be here. Um, I've been to a lot of salts, and this is the most southeasterly salt I've ever been to. So I'm just excited. And uh, I want to say thank you guys, Jonathan, for the uh, wonderful gift basket. And, uh, and having, I, I do this for the gift basket. I mean, the glory of God and the gift baskets. I appreciate the warm welcome and being invited to participate with you and uh, love Chi Alpha. We are Chi Alpha in our hearts. Um, I'd like to introduce um, a couple of people and um, because I'm related to one of them. And um, we have my son Luke. I can't see, but I know you're there. My son Luke, stand up. There we go. And of Cyrus Nelson. Another family friend is like my adopted. Maybe let's stand, Cyrus. There you go. So I'm not a, uh, I also have a wife and, and two teenage daughters, um, but they are, are with family this, this weekend. Um, I have a good friend, Pete Goulet. Some of you know him. Kyle the director. Woo, he gets a woo. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good friend at the University of Virginia. And when I was talking to him, we, we talked a lot about just a lot of things, but uh, I often call him when I'm going to preach at a Kyle thing and just kind of gives advice and he said something to me that I thought was very helpful for this salt. He, my son now is a freshman in college, so for all these years in Chi Alpha, and all of a sudden I'm the parent dropping off the kid. It's very different from this side of the experience than just watching people come into our Chi Alpha group. But he said to me, what would you want your son to know? 
What would you want your son to know as a freshman in college? And so uh, I'm not approaching him like that. I'm not just talking to my son, obviously. That would be weird. Um, and make him feel awkward as well. But what that had me think about is in terms of after all these years of working with Chi Alpha students, and not just when I was here in the States, but we've had 23 giving years. Come on. 23 giving years that have worked with us in Granada, Spain. And, and, and over that time of, of continuing to work with young people, I've come to believe that one thing that's important, that I don't want to call it a lack, but one thing that, that really we struggle to do is really get a handle on what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And, and so over the next couple of evenings, I'm going to talk about some of these things about the kingdom of God. I grew up in the church, so I, didn't, I don't have one of those cool testimonies. You know, I just have a regular one. And, um, you know, got saved when I was five, right? And I wrote down the date in my Bible because somebody told me I had to have a date in my Bible about when I got saved. But I grew up in a very, really a good family, in a good church, and grew up Christian. But I remember it dawning on me at one point that Christianity had to be more than don't sin and cool worship. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, and, and good news is Jesus thinks it's a lot more than that. But somehow, no matter how long you are part of Christian community, you may begin to kind of dumb down our approach to our, our lives. And, and it's just not sinning and, and, and enjoying worship. But when Jesus spoke... About who he was and what he was doing. He used an important word. He says, repent. The kingdom of God is near. And if we're going to live alive. We're going to live an experience of Jesus. as far more than stop sinning in cool worship. We're going to have to have an understanding of what the kingdom of God is. Now, you can spend years and years of, of theologically studying, and that would be important. It would benefit everybody here. But I found that working with young people, sometimes we don't have kind of handles, framework, um, shelves, if you will, where to put stuff we're learning about Jesus in, in, in terms of understanding the kingdom of God. And I want to do that this weekend by using four phrases. I'm actually going to speak on three of them. But four phrases, and they're this, inside out, upside down, future back, here to there. Now, I'm a missionary. Here to there, I could spend days on. So go back to the World Mission Summit, listen to all the podcasts, and that will take care of that one. But I want to give us some handles on understanding what it means to really truly be a part of the kingdom that is life. How does it work? And it works inside out, upside down, future back, here to there. Roughly the year 20 AD, a Jewish man named Jesus, son of a carpenter, born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth, began his rabbinic career by preaching in some villages that nobody had ever heard of on the Sea of Galilee. Small blip on the map of the Roman Empire. And he kept saying, the kingdom of God is near. That's Jesus' slogan. That's the tagline to his website. The kingdom of God is 
here. Now, Jesus picked a word that would have been very easily understood in terms of the Roman Empire. Eugene Peterson says the word kingdom is the most comprehensive word possible. In other words, the kingdom of God includes everything. The way you eat and drink and play and work and live and marry. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he's inviting us into the kingdom of life. The most comprehensive word there is. That's the word Jesus said. When I've called, when I've come, I've come to say you turn around and come into the kingdom. Jesus did not come simply for us to stop sinning and enjoy worship. Jesus' slogan, the kingdom is near, is so vital to the New Testament, but often we don't fully understand it. My wife came up with a very good theological definition. She's the smart one in the family. She said the kingdom of God is God's goodness fully expressed. That's what life is, a comprehensive word that our whole lives we would experience the goodness of God. But how do we do that? How do we get at that? We're invited into this kingdom to be fully alive in the kingdom of life. And so this weekend is about giving us some handles, can't talk about everything, for understanding how do we, how does this kingdom, which is so radically different than any kingdom that has ever been on the planet, and I want to get at it by these three terms, inside out, upside down, and future back. I flew here on a plane, I guess versus my wings. <laughs> What are we done up there? I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I think at one point in science class, they explained to me how a plane works. You know, I like got vaguely, what, thrust and lift or something, engines, people, stuff. I have no idea how a plane works, honestly. And very few of you probably do either. But I also understand how my cell phone works and all sorts of things. Wouldn't it be a shame if we went through our whole Christian lives and we didn't understand how the kingdom of God works? And we know the words, Jesus, love, peace. But so vital that we truly understand the nature of the kingdom. You see, the world offers us rival kingdoms, competitive, competing alternatives to what Jesus taught, how he did kingdom. The word, we are offered external formation, but Jesus calls us to inside-out transformation. We're offered personal empowerment, but instead Jesus says, no, the way to life is upside-down service. The world offers us the pragmatic now, but Jesus offers us future-back glory. In my prayer... And the prayer for my son is that we would understand the life offered to us, the radical alternative to unlife in this world, the life in the kingdom of God. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, it'll be on the screen too, I'm sure. But we continue to say, turn in your Bibles. Page 1011. 
if you have the right Bible. So in these three evenings, I'm going to take one of these and truly picking one of my favorite passages, the passages I would want to pass on to my own son, as linchpins of understanding the nature of Jesus' kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, this is Paul's prayer to, I think, his favorite church. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, sometimes you just can't get past some verses. If we truly understood in our innermost being the true nature of Jesus, of Christ's love that changes everything. Ultimately, that is our only pursuit. And to know, that, verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Is that what they say? <laughs> That's good. You get it right. What I love about this verse, it seems like Paul just can't put enough adjectives in here. He says, if I had one prayer for you, Ephesians, and he works all these words together, these complex sentences that he has, and he asks, if I could pray anything for you, he says, deep down inside, where your heart is, that you would understand the love of Christ that goes far beyond what we could possibly imagine. If I could pray one prayer for you, Chi Alpha is that you be transformed from the inside out by the love of Jesus Christ. One prayer. That's what I offer to you tonight. That each one here would grasp the love of Jesus. The truth is we never will fully. The good news is we have eternity to work on it. That's how long it takes to fully grasp but I want to talk about this inside-out transformation because this is a very different way of going about kingdom. Kingdom starts with the love inside your heart. Everything in this world teaches us to be outside-in people. It's all about image, isn't it? When I was about, so let's call it 11, 11 and a half, I went to summer camp. Anybody been to summer camp before? All right. Um, I know this is hard to believe, but back then I, I, I wasn't that handsome. You know, 
I was, uh, I believe at age 11, I was just crossed four feet. That's not a joke, that's an actual statistic. Um, this is back in the day when glasses couldn't be cool. Um, my hair, my, I got my hair cut, no joke. I got my hair cut in a basement with a single ball being hung down by, by a guy who professionally laid asphalt. Herb. What's his name? So I was not the handsomest young man. I hadn't, uh, you know, become the man I am today. And I go into camp, and I don't know why you would ever do this to middle schoolish kind of. At the end, the last night of camp was date night. I was eleven and a half, four foot, herb haircut. I had a friend. His name was Michael Holbrook. He was tall. He also had his own pool, so he was dark. That passed for exotic in Oakville, Missouri. <laughs> Anybody St. Louis? Come on. There we go. So it was date night. Michael Holbrook had no problem getting a date. The girls would ask him in groups. And date night was walking around the campground drinking a soda. My preference was squirt. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got tagged with that nickname. Yeah. So no one was asking me out, no droves, but Michael was my friend, so I hung around him and hoping to pick up the leftovers. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> Happily married, that works out. Because you know my wife, I'm married up. But I'm not making the rest of this up. Not that I was lying before, but. <laughs> so we're playing ping pong, Michael and I, and a gaggle of girls walked up to him. I, I don't mean to be offensive, that's just how it actually physically looked to me. <laughs> walked up to him and they asked him out. And Michael, trying to be a good friend, says, well, I'll go out with you if one of you goes out with my friend Sean. No, it gets worse. <laughs> the uh, girls looked down to my end of the ping pong table, I alone on one side of the ping pong table, looked me up and down, shook their heads no, and walked off. I remember literally trying to hide under the ping pong table in shame. One young girl from our youth group, because Michael was trying to help again, and he started telling everybody what had happened to me, so I guess they can pray for me, I don't know, or whatever. <laughs> and so one girl came over to me, trying to minister to me. <laughs> and she said these words that you have heard before. It's not what's on the outside that counts. 
it's what's on the inside. I can tell you now, those words were meaningless to me. <laughs> I'm sure that girl did not end up in counseling. Because <laughs> you and I know better than that, don't we? It's the outside that counts in our world. It's all about the outside and managing our image and man managing how we appear and the people's perception of us. That is how we live. But God's kingdom truly does work from the inside out, but we just don't want to believe it. Because when we believe that, that means we lose control. But God always has worked from the inside out to make humanity real. He breathed life into us. Whenever there's a problem, it's always a problem of the heart. Ultimately, it's the inside. And only true change happens when we begin with repentance and wholeness on the inside. So Paul prays, I pray that in your innermost being, that that's where the change has to happen. But like I said, we desperately want it not to be about our hearts. Not to embarrass my son, but here we go anyway. When my son was young, I don't know, he had a, we have two daughters as well. He's the oldest, and at one point, he kicked his little sister. He's a nice boy. He'd never do that now. But he, he kicked her, and my wife was going to put him in timeout until he said he was sorry. And for some reason, this one time, Luke couldn't quite bring himself to say sorry. So he kept sitting there and sitting there. And it was like a half an hour, which for a toddler is like a week for us, man. I mean, it's like forever. And there was this power of will because he didn't want to admit. He didn't want to repent. And finally he says, Mom, what if my foot says it's sorry? And rather than have to keep him in time out for another half an hour, we let him go at that. But there is something in the human heart that does not want to admit that the problem is on the inside. We'll blame the circumstance. We'll blame, well, that's how I am. I was made that way. We'll do a thousand things to avoid dealing with the heart. But the kingdom always works from the inside out. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There are two enemies to inside out life. The first is this. It's image management versus soul formation. We're all familiar with Jesus' criticism of religious leaders of his day who worked on the external religion versus heart. You know, we don't like all those religious people, the hypocrites. We all know that. I don't think too many people today, well, that's not true. Some people are, but most of us in this room probably aren't that tempted by external religiosity of the Pharisees, you know? Like we... <laughs> we <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> 
We're mostly not tempted by that kind of external life. But the truth is, superficial external life is always a temptation for every culture, every generation. It just looks a little bit different. But I've got to admit, I think perhaps that we, if I can include us all in one big generation, we have perfected the cultivation of image. Externals. We're afraid we will cease to be if we're not managing our image. Facebook, Instagram. I don't know, my girls, by the age of like a day, already knew how to pose for pictures. It's unbelievable. Like you can pull out a camera and a kiss like six months and they're going, you know, like, how? When I took pictures of me, my brother didn't even know the camera was on. You know, it's like, hey. But we live in a generation, everything is mediated, everything is put to an image consultant. It's like we're all our own image consultants. Constantly managing our image replaces attention to the heart. Because all our energy is spent on the wrong thing. How come we know, each one of us in this room, what our Disney princess profile is? You know? Or which Muppet you are, or whatever. I don't know what people do on this internet, the web thing, interweb. Again, I don't know what's going on. But man, we know we're all, you know, your, your character most like this, you're most likely to do that, because we're endlessly spending time managing our image and our persona. This is who I am. We're trying to decorate it up. And I'm afraid it draws us away. From inside-out transformation. We're so desperate to create our own identities. Let me tell you something. Romans tells us we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Not self-created image. I'm not just talking about social media. I'm talking about the thousand ways in which we pose for our world. And man, it's, it happens in the Christian community, maybe worse than anywhere. This is what a good Christian should look like or do or say or sing like or do whatever. Well, I'm not that kind of Christian. God forbid you go to a church that doesn't have coffee you know, or whatever it is. Or you don't have the right background. No pallets on your stage at your church. So you must not be cool. <laughs> By the way, I have pallets in my ministry center. Just as you know. But we're so consumed with image, even in our Christian communities. I did get out of junior high, went to high school. And my parents were pastors. Um, we weren't poor, but we were frugal. <laughs> and this is the time when guests became popular. Back in the 1980s, anybody? Guess jeans. Like, are they still popular? I don't even know. No, no, they're not. Not even retro cool. Doggone it, I kept those for nothing. <laughs> so, um, we couldn't afford guest jeans, and so my mom, in her kindness, found a knockoff that said guest. <laughs> guest. And I love my mom, but it didn't help me. 
So I remember taking a pocket knife and trying to scrape the leather on the back to make it kind of look like another S so no one would know. Because God forbid I show up on the wrong jeans. There's a thousand different identity markers And our generation, this generation, is consumed with making sure you have the approval of your tribe. We have so many subgroups that if I belong to this or I go to this coffee house, God forbid I still drink coffee at Starbucks because that's so uncool. That's so a long time ago. I'm a pour over guy. I'm, I'm just being honest. This kind of band at your church, this kind of community belong to, you eat this way, you don't eat that, you're allergic to this, you're not allergic to that. There's a thousand things we like to put on front cover of our lives. They're so busy dealing with their own image. We know how to build a profile, but not a character. We build a resume, but not righteousness. All our energy is dealing with a public self. And Jesus says, I can make you who you need to be. But we're going to start with your heart. The things on the inside take priorities. And they inevitably work themselves on the outside. And to be kind of being the kind of person that can love others that can serve, that can bless. The core self, the core character is where life flows from and it is there that Christ wants to meet us. I was listening to a podcast of a theologian. He was talking about how he was so busy keeping up his social media as a Christian theologian because he, he had to write his books and he had to sell and he went to the office of the pier and he just plopped on the chair and he said, I'm so tired. And he said, but I'm afraid that if I don't do all this image management, they will forget me. I believe that is the peril of our generation. We're so afraid if we don't create ourselves, no one will notice us. But Jesus says, I love you. And if we could just fathom the height and depth and love of Jesus for you, then we don't have to work on our image. We are free. We are free. As I said, I've been working not just in Chi Alpha stateside, but also with Gibby years. And I say this with this is a pastoral heart here. I've never met a tired generation. Now, I've seen physical tiredness. That's not what I'm talking about. Because physically, there have been more tired generations than us. <laughs> I'm talking about soul weariness. 
and the internal, um, it actually produces, I think, depressions and, and intestinal problems and stomach issues because there's, we're so exhausted from trying to manage our image. I'm here to tell you, young people shouldn't be that tired. You don't have to live like that. You do not have to create yourself. Jesus says, I want to meet you. I want to dwell in your hearts. I want my love to permeate So you do not have to live this way. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary. And I will give you rest. Even sometimes those burdens are burdens we put on ourselves. He wants us to free us from that. But here's the problem. The greatest crime in our culture is to be still. Activity, busyness are signs that a person's life's got, oh, I'm so busy. It's not that long ago I was in college. Man, we all brag about how little we slept. Think about that. If you do that with any other thing, yeah, I haven't eaten for days. Look at me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but, but we're taught in our world, and this is not global, this is North America, folks. We're taught if we stop, if we're not act, active, then we must be losers. There's such an incredible sense that if we stop and we are still, that our life is empty. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is in the stillness. I've tried to learn this my whole life. Like many of you, I got a journal for Christmas. Because my last, last one that's still three quarters empty, I got last Christmas. We're all going to start again. Now I'm going to do my devotions. I got a new fresh journal and a pen. But somehow February comes and the busyness kicks in again. I can't find the pen. <laughs> Stillness is not simply stopping with a coffee and a fresh journal. It's about attentiveness to the voice of Jesus. Christopher Hall, a theologian, says this. Generally speaking, God is a whisperer. God doesn't yell for you. He whispers to invite you into intimacy with him. He whispers so that we have to stop and say, what? So we set aside all the noise and din of our lives. Jesus wants to speak to you, but we have to be still. So I ask you this question. Are you soul attentive? Are you heart attentive? Because if you are, you can set aside all the self-image management of your lives. Jesus will speak to you. Did you hear me? The creator of the world will speak to you. The one who knows you better than you know yourselves, he wants to talk with you. 
He wants to whisper to your heart about how much He loves you. And all the issues of how good we look, how much we need to put in our resume, they fall into their proper place in the order of things. When you know you're loved. The second great enemy of soul formation, inside out, is simply distraction. Just general distraction. Again, we're not the first generation to be distracted. One of the main sites I was reading, um, Pascal's Pensamientos in Espanol, I don't know the word in French. Thoughts, well, it's not, that's not French. The great math, French mathematician, I believe, of the 18th, 17th century, 18th, yeah, he wrote a huge chapter on how people were so distracted by all the modern inventions of his world. <laughs> we didn't invent this. But man, again, we perfected it. We are the ADD generation. I mean that both literally and emotionally. And I think they're related. There's no shame in that, by the way. I deal with a little bit of that myself. But the reality is our world is so hyped up and at such fast pace. We're a constant squirrel. That's our lives. Is it not? I mean, think about it. Ding. 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 Whatever your notification, that's mine. Ding. Every WhatsApp, every... (laughs) Isn't that it? And we've taught ourselves to do this because we're distracted every 10 seconds. If there's no stimuli, we don't know what to do. I know none of you have done this, but you started doing some research online. By the way, that never works. And an hour and a half later, you have no idea how you got where you were. I started on post, post-World War II Europe and ended up, ended up with some cat juggling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why is that? It's because as soon as that first video that was a 45 second max video, another one and that wheel starts going next video up, I don't even have the patience to wait that full 10 seconds. Bam! Next video. <laughs> Because in that five seconds, God forbid I actually process the cat juggling and think about what it's meaning. You know, next video, it is an addiction, people. Ding, next video. We read titles, but not books, headlines, but not articles. Hey, am I wrong? We have been, we, we read scripture means, but not the Bible. Our culture has trained us to bounce along the surface and never go deep about anything. There's lots of clicking, but little connecting. Here's what I found out about this stuff. This kind of life leaves us harried. It's like we're living on spiritual monster drinks. Running around trying to find what's important in life. Clicking here, clicking that. 
Got to listen to this pastor's podcast. Got to watch this guy's thing. And we have the, no longer able to focus. The old word is devote. That's what devotion is. It's focus. Again, as I said, we're so busy bragging about staying up late. I'm telling you, activity as an idol is an imposter and a dictator. In my own life, and I'm sure in yours, I'm not ignorant. We move from the frantic life of management and the distracted life, and then we crash. We don't rest, we crash. We Netflix binge. That is not a balanced life. Running like crazy than watching seven hours of television. <laughs> that will defeat soul formation. And I'm talking to myself too. We move from flurry to the flurry of activity to the flopping on the couch. From soaring to sailing. It's like we're on spiritual meth. Running hard but the crash is horrible. We're so busy trying to have a good day. FOMO. We're going to get the most out of this day, so we click, we move, we go to that, that. And let me just be honest with this. Even our own Chi Alpha groups, we can live this way. i got to go to every single Bible study. Pastors, help us. How are we going to handle this in church? I pray that our ministry don't just become more experiences to add onto the knot. You know, on the list of things we have to accomplish to manage our image. We're so busy trying to have a good day that we do not end up with a good life. And God is calling us out of the life of distraction to the life of devotion. But it's so hard for us to be still. And that word kept coming back to me for this evening, really. Stillness. As I said, I've even struggled with some level of ADD. And it's so hard for me to sit. And I, you find ways to cope, and I found out I can't pray sitting. That's okay if that's you. But stillness is not just stopping. It's about aggressive receptivity. To Jesus. I had the privilege of spending a summer in East Africa, Kenya. So, oh, where are you at? <laughs> Found it with his children. <laughs> and I was um, in a mountainous area, and we had to, we were climbing up a, a mountain area to share Jesus with a, a kind of remote village, and. Uh, I was all proud of myself. I was in my second year of Bible college, Christian gospel. <laughs> Had all the answers. Doing all the right things. Read the right theology books. Had the coolest journals. <laughs> and we had to climb up this mountain because I'm going to help people know Jesus, you know, and climb up the mountain. And I started getting sick. I don't mean like 
I was under the weather. I mean, like, I felt I was going to die sick. And I was with two friends from college, friends, looking back, friends, <laughs> and they began to laugh at me because everybody and their sister was passing me on the mountain pass. You know, they started singing, Sean just got passed by an 80-year-old lady. <laughs> I was sick, and anyway, I, Dick Brogan, by the way, was one of those, if any of you know who that is. <laughs> He's not as spiritual as you think. And I was walking up, and I was sick. When we got there, we did a little preaching, and I was just sick as a dog, and we're laying down on this concrete floor, had a little piece of foam about like that, and then it rained and it soaked that. This is a sponge. And my friend Mike, he actually had some sort of <coughs> caught off the floor. And I was so sick and so feverish, I was freezing. I'll never forget, I turned to Mike and said, Mike, you know me. But if I don't get in your bed with you, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> And so I did. Crawled up onto his bed. And I was feverish. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I finally got your attention. So busy for God. So busy even in ministry. He took sickness and the humiliation of getting into a bed with a friend. Tiny bed. And Jesus said, Now that I've got you here, I want you to know that I love you. That's all I wanted to say. And the sweetness of that moment has carried me throughout my life. Oh, yeah, there are other sweet moments I could point to in my life, but at that moment, I began, and I'm still learning. That Jesus, sometimes, he might even, in difficult circumstances, have to cause you to be undistracted. But he's wanting to speak to you. The Bible talks a lot about suffering, and I'm not going to pretend that was suffering. But some of you here in this room really are suffering. There's lots of theology behind why those things happen to us. I'm not trying to answer that question, but I am saying this. Maybe in the middle of that, the sweetness of Jesus can overwhelm you. The key to Christian formation is always about losing. Or should we say, loosing. Getting rid of the things that distract us. Because Jesus wants to work on your heart. And we're so busy clicking, so busy running. We don't have time for the lover of our souls to speak to us. If I could have the worship team come up and just play something soft. I'm going to head towards a close for this evening. My first question to you was, are you soul attentive? My second question was, are you devoted to Christ or distracted by life?
not a very charismatic type speaker. I prefer the classroom to the pulpit, to be honest. So maybe I don't know what you're expecting of me as a speaker. Um, and I know I'm one of those guys who judges a speaker and you know, did it. Oh man, that guy struck me, whatever. But I don't want any of that to be the issue here. Because I do know what the word of Jesus is to us tonight. There's some of you that are so exhausted from managing your image. You're about to crash. You don't have to. Be released from being your own savior. You can't. And that's the first step to soul inside out formation. It's to admit that we do not have the resources to become who we want to be. That's why there's grace. That's why he died. He's predestined us. He's, he's arranged for you to be conformed to the image of the Son. You don't have to worry about forming your own image. Our whole lives we've been told, I think I can, I think I can, do it, do it. No, you can't. The train can't get up the hill. Never going to make it. Thank God. But God can pick up the train and get it to the top. <laughs> You do not have to work harder to please Him. You do not have to work harder to become the kind of person you are. Instead, you need to be cultivating soul attentiveness to the God whisperer. If you do that, you do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Because that's, that's really the issue, isn't it? If you really believe that God can do more than you can ask or imagine, if he can go beyond your wildest imagination for your life, then let it go to quote Frozen. <laughs> Admit it. Jesus is not the resource for your self-development. He's not a resource for your life. He is life. He's all you need and let him speak to you and say you're forgiven. You're loved. You have purpose. You have hope because I am here. Imagine how wide and deep and high is my love for you. Admit we can't be our own saviors. <laughs> Secondly, prioritize Christ above all things. For those of you who might remember, I did say this at the World Mission Summit, but a yes to everything is a no to the important things. some real practical. What does it profit a man? I'm going to adjust this. What does it profit one if you experience everything life has to offer but lose your own soul? You're going to have to say no to a lot of stuff in your life. No to the endless clicking and then it's network, Netflix binging. That's part of it. But it's about prioritizing Jesus. Some of those choices of no are more nuanced than we'd like to admit. But I'm telling you, 
the key to overcoming distractions is just saying no to some things. So I want you to ask yourself, what do you need to say no to? It could be a relationship that distracts you. I mean, it could be a lot of things. It could be a major. It can be overcommitment in religious activities. By the way, that's not an excuse to leave your community of faith. Prioritize Christ above all. I mean, can we can we check in with Jesus as often as we check our cell phones? You know, maybe that would be an exercise God puts in your heart to have an alarm every eight seconds. <laughs> oh Jesus, I forgot about you. That's how all my attention span is. But cultivate prioritizing Jesus in all things. And finally, just dare to trust Him. In the book of Revelation, John wrote to the same Ephesian church. This was the best of the churches, really. They kept out heresy. They'd done the right things. But his criticism of the church was simply this. You've forgotten your first love. You forgot your priority, love. I'm asking us tonight to dare to believe it. Inside out is the way of life. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way to the life that goes far beyond our imagination. To trust Jesus, to help us overcome low self-esteem and self-centeredness, which we both we usually have both. Soren Kierkegaard said, "With God's help, I become myself." <coughs> Would you bow your heads with me? to pray and um, the worship team will continue to play I'd like you guys to hold off on singing though for a while I'm not going to make some big plea the word of Jesus is out there but I want you to maybe think of those three categories again and just come forward and find a place to pray first again some of you need to surrender your desire to be your own savior I've been running too hard trying to manage myself. If that's you, just get up from your chair and find a place to pray right now. Admit you can't do it and you're exhausted from trying. Some of you, the point that may be striking you most is that you realize you have not prioritized Christ. You love Jesus. 
but you have not done a good job, what do you need to say no to? Some of you are feeling God speak to you about specific things, or at least you're feeling like you need to pray for God to give you specific things. If that's you, step out to the aisle, the back sides, find a place where God, what do I need to say no to? Because I, this, this is, is prioritizing Christ. When you begin to say to Jesus, help me know what I need to stop doing for your sake. trust him that God can do more than we can. I kind of felt in my heart that maybe some of the staff were so exhausted by ministry you've stopped believing that God can do more in your ministry if you actually spend time more time with Jesus. You're afraid if you give up responsibilities tasks that the ministry will fall apart. But I want you to trust Jesus that God can do far more than you possibly imagined in your Kyapa group. Just dare to trust Him. You will never regret, spiritual leaders, you will never regret spending more time in stillness. Don't believe the devil telling you you have to accomplish more. Now that's a staff member. Maybe you need to step forward. If that's a student, you may need to step forward. I'm going to read the same passage I read at the beginning, but this time in the message. And I just want you to begin to pray. Of course, staff leaders, please pray for your students. Respond to people, the body of Christ, ministering one to another. But I want you to listen with fresh ears. Paul writes, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as the, you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet firmly planted in love, You'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out. Students, reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us.